Easter Sunday, in our mouths are the words, He is risen, and He is risen indeed. But fear, Matthew 28, verse 4 says, And for fear of Him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Matthew 28, 5, the very next verse. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. Two verses later, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Did they think it was a ghost? What was their fear? Were they afraid that all was lost? Finding an empty tomb meant that nothing of this happened? Nothing of what had gone before? Did they imagine Jesus for 33 years? Had somebody taken him? Had what they put their hope in this prophet was all lost? Easter is supposed to be a time of great joy. Hallelujahs, flowers, music, celebration, fellowship. Easter, however, begins with fear. Great fear. Great fourfold fear. Well, let's have a working definition of fear, if you will. Fear is false evidence that appears to be real. That's it. False evidence that appears to be real. What is the false evidence appearing real on the first Easter? Jesus had been beaten barbarically, maimed mercilessly. Buried haphazardly, so his ministry is over. His movement, finished. His cause, done. All hope, lost. Easter begins with fear, great fourfold fear. False evidence that appears so very real. Everything is lost. Now even his body is lost. But the goal of this sermon, however, is to replace fear with faith. What is faith? Faith is forsaking all, casting aside all doubt in the face of fear, and take him. Who is him? Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus, our Redeemer. He creates beauty from ashes. His word brings healing to the suffering. Remember that. But we begin with fear because that's how the first Easter begins, not with faith, but with fear. And fear is also where we begin, even before the resurrection, even as we gaze into the empty tomb, we begin with fear. In spite of the resurrection, we still live with fear. As much as we try to deny it and fake it and stuff it and put it back on the burner and whatever, we all live in fear. We always seem to gravitate toward fear, toward the false evidence that appears to be real and accept it as real. There's a grizzly bear is behind every corner, and it's just a matter of time until he leaps out of the shadows and bears his ugly fangs and claws and chews us up. Ha <laughs> ha, right, a grizzly bear. We don't need a grizzly bear. We have the coronavirus. How many of us have walked around this past year, even believing in the resurrection, accepting the coronavirus as our grizzly bear, waiting behind every corner, 
believing it's just a matter of time until it leaps out of the shadows over the over the face shield around the corners that that don't fit tight on the masks that the person in front of us bearing his ugly fangs and chewing us up along with our family our friends and all of our finances in today's pandemic it's easy to see that fear catches on quickly spurred on by conflicting reports from high medical officials partiality of the news and the media political ideologies all creating and twisting evidence because they don't know or understand the reality of the situation accepting as reality for where there is no false evidence the fear we live with whispers incessantly there's trouble out there keep your mask on is 12 hours enough what about 24 should i sleep with it on what happens when i take a bite of food in a street cafe quickly lift it and cover myself again as a result we don't sleep well we don't whistle while we work and when others whistle while we work we wonder why we look at them you know the look the top to bottom look are you that naive where's your mask don't you believe the reports aren't you afraid we scold them if not out loud at least in our minds haven't you read the news and heard the reports and seen the studies airplanes fall out of the sky bull markets go bare terrorists terrorize good people turn bad the other shoe will drop at some point fine print will be found in that document there's always that one detail that we may have missed in an airplane inspection or a virus analysis, an investment, something that may have been missed. And we expect the worst with fear, accepting the false evidence as reality. We make false evidence, evidence that's not found yet, and we accept it as reality. Fear attacks us with two words what if what if i don't close the sale what if i don't get that bonus what if she doesn't love me anymore what if my kids have crooked teeth what if their crooked teeth keep them from having friends a career or a spouse what if they end up homeless sitting on a street corner holding a cardboard sign that says my parents never fixed my crooked teeth what if i get on that boeing max or catch the coronavirus Fear twists us into emotional pretzels, making our eyes twitch, our blood pressure rise, our heads ache, and our armpits sweat. We numb our fear with six-packs or food, binges, or too much TV, not getting out of bed. We express our fear with volcanic anger and silent stares. We're experts at all of this. Or... As many congregations today are fearing, especially on the East and West Coasts, what if we have to close our congregation? False evidence appearing to be real. But help is on the way. I want to take you back into history for a minute to 1512, to the Eisenheim altarpiece. It's a Renaissance triptych located in France. A triptych is a folder altarpiece that has panels. You can see the side panels that they open up during specific times during the church season. And this sits 
during Renaissance times in the front part over the altar. Here's an interesting note about these altar pieces. In addition to the appearance of personages in Jesus' life, the artists placed contemporary figures from their own world, their own reality, such as town mayors or townspeople. And even in some of these triptychs, Martin Luther appears along with other reformers. He doesn't in this one. Forms part of the painting scenario. This particular 16th century altarpiece was created with the image of Christ in the middle, was created for a monastery that cared for people with skin diseases during the plague. You can see this on Jesus' greenish body. And so knowing for whom the triptych was made, the artists depict Christ in a particular way. Christ has a skin disease in the painting, showing patients that Jesus understands and sympathizes with their fear. The people at the monastery were afraid that their skin disease would kill them. What is it for you? What do you think will kill you? Taxes? Your teenagers? Cancer? Loneliness? Depression? Debt? Divorce, the coronavirus, dementia, Jesus understands. He knows. Mary, the mother of Jesus, knows all about fear. You see her on the left. She's collapsing in anguish into the arms of John, the apostle, the beloved apostle of Christ. A mother's greatest fear comes true. She witnesses the death of her son, her dear son, Jesus. How would the artists include you, you, in this painting along with Mary? What is your fear? What is your suffering for which Christ died? John the Baptist also appears here on the altarpiece, although he was not present at the crucifixion. He's on the right side, and he reminds us he has the lamb at his feet, symbolizing the sacrifice of Christ, and he's pointing to Jesus. This is the one that he told the world about, the world that was living in the midst of fear and darkness. But he was beheaded by order of Herod Antipas in 29 AD. John the Baptist couldn't have witnessed Christ's death, but the artists include John to remind us of what he said to Jesus, recorded in John 1. Behold, and here he is on the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And part of that sin is fear. It's skin disease. It's coronavirus. It's any of the fears that you have. And that's another important part. What looks like it's world ending is actually life giving. What looks world ending is really giving life. Yes, Jesus is the Lamb of God, but yes, he takes away the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, ugly, rotten, putrid sin. That's because Jesus is a redeemer. Remember, a redeemer creates beauty for ashes. The Eisenheim altarpiece had two painted wings that you see in the center, and then they open up and close over the central painting like doors on a cabinet. When the wings are closed, the altarpiece shows 
this crucifixion, Christ hanging on the cross, his body discolored, greenish blue, his wounds covering a sick body, suffering, rejection, death, death on a cross. But the outer wings of the Eisenheim altarpiece, when they're opened for Easter and Christ bursts forth from the tomb, can be seen. Christ is risen. Death has no more dominion over him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In the painting, Christ's hands are raised in blessing, as you can see. And behind him, in orange and startling yellow, a sun rises against the dark sky. Swirls of yellow, white, red, and blue garments adorn Christ. But the most amazing feature of this painting of the resurrection are the rubies the artist placed rubies in Christ's hands and his feet and his side. Rubies from scars. Ruby red. Jesus, our Redeemer, creates beauty from ashes. Rubies from blood. Rubies from scars. The disciples' rejection and desertion. Finally, rubies. The flogging and the mocking, finally rubies. The nails and the spears, finally rubies. Why? Because death is dead. Sin is forgiven. Fear is taken care of. Hope is eternal. The victory is won. What looks world-ending is finally life-giving. And Jesus said it would happen. Five times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says he would rise from the dead. Five times, Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Five times, Jesus says that. Still, the disciples choose fear over faith. They abandon Jesus on Thursday. Only one stands at the cross on Friday, and that's John. And on Sunday, they all hide behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. It's so easy to choose fear. False evidence appears so real. And we choose it and buckle under over faith. Forsaking all, I take him. In 1960, just as Grisha Siklenko an amazing event happened in a tiny village in the Ukraine. Grisha Siklenko appeared one day, much to the shock of his friends and neighbors, in 1960. Everyone thought that he had died in World War II. Actually, the night he marched away to war, he went home where his mother had made a hiding place for him under a manure pile. And so for 18 years, from the end of World War II until 1960, he lived in manure. In the winter, he nearly froze to death, and in the summer, he nearly suffocated to death. Finally, in 1960, he walked out of the manure, expecting to be prosecuted, punished, and placed in prison. His fears were groundless. The statute of limitations had long since expired. Fear does that. We end up living in manure. Then guess what happens? Life stinks. Life really stinks when we live in fear. How smart is that? Would you rather live by faith 
And here is the angel's promise to you in Matthew 28. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Just as he said. We can trust what Jesus says. Jesus says, I took away your sin. I conquered death. I'm alive bodily and eternally. And I'm coming again to perfect your body and restore the entire creation. Fear be gone. Live by faith. Do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible turns out to be? What instruction, what order is given repeatedly by prophets, by angels, by Jesus, and by the apostles? What do you think? Be good? Be holy? Don't sleep during the sermon? No, most frequent command in the Bible is don't fear. 365 times. One for each day of the year. Why is that? Because living in fear is like living in manure. Everything stinks. Faith, forsaking all, I take him, who our Redeemer. Jesus creates life from death, joy from sadness, and beauty from ashes. And remember the rubies, the rubies, the five rubies in hands and feet and side. Do you have troubles in life? Don't fear. Is the coronavirus out there? Yes, don't fear. Are you ill? Don't fear. Has everything gone terribly wrong? Don't fear. Are you sick? Don't fear. Are you mentally unstable? Don't fear. Is your heart absolutely broken? Don't fear. Let these six words go down into your insidest inside. I know that my Redeemer lives. What else is left to say but this? Forsaking all, I take him. Hallelujah. Amen. And let us confess our faith and resurrection together with all Christians everywhere. I believe in God the Father Almighty, he created and sustains heaven and earth. 